But I want, I want to begin by reading a letter, an email, a, a portion of an email. You know, the um, books that we give away, we're still giving away. Uh, where are the missing people? I've shared a couple of it's written by Jimmy Evans. He was a pastor for many, many years, and uh, he's in marriage ministry, prophecy ministry, just doing a lot of things. Uh, he, I, I get the email, uh, subscribed email, and this week, just a portion of one that I think that I received yesterday or Friday is kind of going to be the setup for the message today. It says, pastors, good people. This, this is saying what pastors have said. Good people can earn their way to heaven. Here's the article. A recent nationwide survey by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University uncovered a surprising and disappointing statistic. It reveals a lot about the state of the Christian church today. According to this survey, nearly a third of senior pastors believe that people can merit their salvation based solely on their good works. Here is how the research described it. Amazingly, given the foundations of evangelism, three out of every evangelicalism, 10 evangelical pastors, or 30%, do not believe that their salvation is based on having confessed their sins and accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, 30%. The survey results collected answers to a question phrased this way. A person who is generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. 7% of Catholic leaders answered yes to that prompt. That doesn't surprise me, he says. What did surprise me is that 34% of evangelical church senior pastors also answered yes, as did 21% of uh, non-denominational pastors and 47% of Pentecostal and charismatic pastors. The report looked at 17 basic beliefs central to Christianity about salvation, moral truth, human purpose, and other foundational issues. The pastors all came from the seven major denominational groupings in the United States, representing more than 90% of all Christian churches in America. The Bible, folks, very clearly teaches that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. In Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas Tell the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes explicitly that our salvation is not attainable through good works. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We are experiencing a dramatic falling away of biblical teaching and morality, including within the church. The Bible tells us this is one of the major signs of the end times. We are uh, seeing that within our own day and age and times. It goes on to say, if you were wondering which kind of Christians are represented 
by the five foolish virgins in the parable in Matthew 25. They may be members of these unbiblical churches who aren't teaching basics like salvation through Christ alone. This, more than almost anything else, convinces me that we are closing in on the return of Jesus. We are living in a postmodern, post-Christian, uh, post-Bible culture. The authority of Scripture is under attack, and even from inside some churches. Many of the ill-informed Christians and even senior pastors in our communities may be in for surprise. When Jesus returns, he may say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So I kind of want to say that again as the reason why I say a lot of the things that I say on a regular basis every Sunday morning. It's because that not only the condition of the world, and I've told you this uh, many times, but it's the condition of the church, of the pulpits, of just the overall feeling about Jesus, God, the Bible, and Christianity in general. It's why I've been commissioned by God to be a watchman, uh, not to live in fear or take the pulse of the media or the church or what, uh, what other preachers are saying or doing. I've been commissioned by God. Know the condition of your flock. That's, that's what the writer of Proverbs says. Know the condition of your flock and, and make sure that you warn people. Seeing the day and the hour and the time is at hand. Warn people, warn people. He told in Ezekiel, I'm, I'm not going to get off subject here, but he said, look, if you see danger and you warn them, then the blood's on their hands. You, you did what you were supposed to do. However, if you see danger but you get scared, you get worried, or you don't care, he said, the blood I will require at your hands. You see, so... Uh, you can look at it this way. I'm either in a win-win situation or a lose-lose situation. I choose to be in a win-win situ situation. Amen? So today, I'm going to begin, before we pray, uh, uh, by talking about what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter. This is not the message. But I want to kind of give you uh, another idea of why this time right here is so important. So you didn't attend church in vain. You never do. You never pick up your Bible, and it's a waste of time. Husbands, Ephesians 5.25 says, Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Thank you for that. And gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, Real quick here, I want to tell you 
the whole purpose in what we are doing, uh, other than the obvious of inviting people to Jesus into the kingdom, into a relationship, is every week when we come in here and we hear the Word of God together, God is, what you know, everybody, from what I could smell, I mean, what I could tell, everybody prepared yourselves before you came to church today. You bathed, you got dressed, you got ready, you sprayed some smell good on, or you put some so I don't stink on, you prepared. You did something to prepare to come. You took care of your flesh, your outward body on a greater scale, but don't ignore that, by the way, but on a much greater scale, the Bible says that the Lord has us to be in his word, to preach his word, be instant in season and out of season, because it's only the word. It's not church attendance. It's not even giving. It's not doing these good works that we talked about in this article a while ago. But it's actually in being in the Word, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. That's what the Bible says the Lord uses to wash us. See, that's why the Word is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword because what the Word does, if I'm grieving or going through a sad, bad time, by the washing of the Word, I read the Scriptures knowing that this earth is not the end and it's not my home. It encourages me. But also, if I've been up to no good or I've been slack, I've been lazy, or I've been more uh, conscious about the world or even my own life or things in my life, then the Word says, hey, man, mm -mm, you're getting off track here. You're getting off of the straight and narrow here. You're paying more attention to this, this, that, or them, or it than you are me, and that's not going to wash you. And so that's what the Lord says. He said, that's why you got to preach the word. You got to hide the word in your own heart so you don't sin against God. That's what we're doing right now. Everybody clear on that? We're not hearing a message. We're not seeing how good the preacher does or don't preach. We're not just going to try to learn a one-liner that you heard in the message today so you can go quote it or tweet it or post it. But what, what's really going on is something dynamic. It's spiritual. It's the word of God washing my soul and revealing and showing me what I need to look at, what I need to, to pay attention to, and what I need to keep on keeping on doing. That's what the Word does. So don't ever despise the Word of God. When you pick your Bible up in the morning, say, Oh, God, that's why we're about to pray this prayer right here. Lord, let your work, because what God did, He put His Word in place so that His bride would have a dressing room. This is where you put your makeup on. This is where you make sure your tie or your dress is right. This is where you make sure your hair is right and everything's in place. The Bible is your dressing room to get ready for the trumpet sound. If you don't spend time in the Word, letting the Word wash you, I can promise you every time you turn your TV on, you get your phone out, the world will wash you. And the world washes you with dirty water. And I got to be quick again, but God reminded me of this. This happened last yesterday evening. We had both of the babies with us uh, for just a little while. You know, you love that. That's, 
you love that part of life, uh, you'd rather work yourself to death doing that than you had doing anything else. And so we were really, truly enjoying that time, and we were about to eat at a little picnic table in the living room. And so, you know, I'm all about fall, and I pulled up on YouTube uh, pumpkins for Beckham to watch about a uh, pumpkin patch. And you know what they do? It's like these little uh, festivals and fairs. They show you, uh, uh, I don't know, a saddle on a bale of hay and riding tractors. That's right down his lane and all that. And all these pumpkins and corn mazes and just fun time. But in between that comes the commercial. And he just happened, just happened to be eating and looked down. But there was a, a quick children's commercial that came on YouTube about a crystal ball, all about it's a toy, magic, all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, you skip the ad. But it only takes the devil five seconds to plant a seed, folks. So that's why I say it all the time. We're not ignorant of his devices. And it doesn't matter if you sit in front of a TV. As an adult, leave children out of the picture. If you just wait on something to go by, if you're watching something on social media, seeds are being planted. You're being washed by the world. So we're about to be washed today by the word. And I, this is how I want you to... to go into this message with me because when you see the title, you know the title, your mind goes kind of in a one-way direction and you could be right, but you could be wrong about a lot of it too. And so this is what we're going to do. I want you to stay seated this week and we're going to pray this prayer, okay? And this is based on the parable of Jesus sowing the seed or the word desiring to wash the bride so she's ready. See, I believe the Lord could, could call us home today. It's September 11th. The world tries to do bad things on September 11th. Amen? What if a, a big explosion took place, only it was the sound of a heavenly trumpet? And, and we were out of here. So we're going to pray this because we want the word to wash us today, friend. So here we go. Father God, Help me not only hear your word today, but to fully understand what you are saying to me. I pray that I joyfully receive your word, refusing to allow any form of tribulation or persecution to cause it not to take root. I pray, oh my Father, that no one or nothing will be successful in tempting or distracting me from bearing fruit. That's important. Father God, I pray that as I receive your word, it is so clear to me that I leave your house today producing what your word says I should be producing in the name of Jesus, I pray, and the church said amen. Amen. I'm going to tell you a true story. Last Sunday morning, I got in my car and I got halfway home, and the Spirit of the Lord said, I want you to preach about hell next week. And the Lord said, but I don't want you to get too far ahead of me for the same reason I just told you a while ago. 
He said, because there's some things that people will jump straight to and they'll miss what I'm wanting to tell them. So the first thing God had me to do was just to look in his word and be reminded that hell is actually real. It's real. A lot of people think it's, it's a mental state when you die. A lot of people think that that's just uh, a scare tactic that preachers or the Bible uses to trick people into being a part of an organization and giving money. But I, I want to tell you, hell is real. In fact, the things God led me to, uh, we're going to look at for a moment, is things that we actually do know, according to the Bible, about hell. The first thing that we do know about hell is that you absolutely will never stop suffering. Never. You'll never stop suffering. It doesn't matter how healthy you are on this earth or how debilitating life was to you. The first millisecond in hell when you experience uh, suffering at an unimaginable level, that first second will be every second for all eternity. You'll never stop suffering. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, here's the scripture, hell and destruction are never full. That means hell will never be through or full like your stomach is of bringing you suffering or the, the unsafe person suffering. It'll never get tired of doing it. It, it never gets to a place where, well, I got to rest. No, it's never satisfied. So the eyes of a man are never satisfied. That's the way hell is. The Bible also tells us the second thing is that hell really truly has fire. Hell has real fire, folks. I mean, fire like you build a fire or fire in a fireplace. Hell has real fire fire that is hot. Matthew 5, 22, Jesus said, whoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. You know what the Greek meaning for fire is, the Greek definition for fire is fire, fire, F-I-R-E. That's what it means in the Greek. It means fire. It means hot, flaming fire. But over in Revelation 21, the Bible says, I, I, I'm going to hold that scripture. By, well, I'm going to read this scripture twice. I'm gonna, I want to read it now and I'm going to read it later, okay? Because it fits right here. So let me read it. Two times, if you don't mind. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their portion in the lake that burns with fire. And this translation says, and sulfur, which is the second death. I will read this again in a moment. So we got fire even followed by the term sulfur. 
So it's not, it's not in my mind. It's not a mental state that I just live in some kind of depressed mental state for all of eternity. It's real flaming hot fire. The third thing that we find in the Bible that hell is unending punishment. Like there's never an end to your suffering. It's also a time of when you are being punished because you rejected or a person rejected the shed blood of Jesus that was shed to wash away their sins so they could be forgiven. There will always be punishment. It's not like you get slapped on the wrist by God and he says, well, you shouldn't have done that. Come on in with the rest of us. No, you'll always be punished. Every second of every moment for all of eternity, all these will go away into eternal punishment. Matthew 25 again. But the righteous into eternal life. Eternal means ongoing, never-ending. Eternal punishment. It's like you're getting a whipping every moment that you're in hell, and you're in hell for every moment forever. And the Bible says, and I'll refer to this scripture again in Luke 16. And in hell he lift up his eyes, talking about a rich man, being in torments. This is again well, along the same lines as punishment. Being in torments, plural, there's an S there. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So the rich man found himself not uh, getting tormented one time, but being in torments. It, it meant he dwelt in torments. Hell is unending punishment. The Bible says also number four, a fourth thing, is that there will be unending. There is constant crying and gnashing of teeth or teeth grinding. The second latter part of Matthew 24, verse 51 says this, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to notice something right here for a second. Do you notice that whatever hell is, Heaven is the complete opposite of that. You'll always be crying, full of sorrow. Always be gnashing your teeth and grinding your teeth and just all from the pain and the torment and the suffering. But in heaven, what does the Bible tell us? There'll be no more tears. There'll be no, no hallelujah, no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more loss. There'll be no more nothing, but hallelujah, howdy, howdy, good time, hallelujah, here we go. The opposite can be found in heaven as to what's awaiting on the unrepentant sinner. And I want to tell you, the fifth thing that the scriptures teach us, that whether you believe it or not, and where the world tries to twist things, hell was never meant for mankind. Never. God never intended for a single person, his created people, to go to hell. Let me tell you quickly the process. The devil, he was the, the worship leader of heaven, Lucifer. And when he wanted to be like God, that's what's going to happen with the Antichrist, false prophet, all, when all that comes into play. He's going to set himself self up as God to be a, a form of Jesus. So, 
when they rebelled, and Jesus said, I, I saw him uh, like lightning coming down from heaven. When that took place, folks, listen, I feel like this should be a Wednesday night, but God had me to do it on Sunday. When that took place, at that moment, before man was created, then God had to make a place for the devil and the angels that rebelled with him, who are now demons. So he created hell. Man wasn't created when hell was created. So don't let anybody ever tell you that if God was the good God, why would he send anybody to hell? He ain't sending a single person to hell. He never had a person in mind when he made hell. He had the devil and all his cohorts. That's it. Because you know, who came to Eve? We just talked about this. Who came? The devil. He was no longer uh, an angelic being by then. Hell was already created then for Satan and all of his cohorts. The Bible says in the 41st verse of the, uh, Matthew 25, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil. Can you all read that? And his angels. So your name's not on there. Human being, people, the planet, earth, that's not there because it was prepared. That means made, created for the devil and his angels. The sixth thing, and you need to really look now because a lot of people have twisted this in churches and in seminaries and in books and on TV shows. God is really serious about hell, folks. He's really serious about hell. 2 Peter 2, 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, the ones that uh, forsook him and followed Satan, but he cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, do you think, and I'll tell you this, do you think that God's going to show partiality now? No, he's not. God's serious about hell. He didn't create hell for people. In fact, God so loved the world that he didn't want any man to go to hell. He knew it was created, and he knew sin was the thing that would give a person access to hell they wouldn't want to go to. And so God was willing to give his sinless son on a cross to be massacred so you could have a relationship with him now, but so you wouldn't have to go to that place that he never meant for you to go to. You see, a lot of preachers will tell people that, like we said in the survey earlier, that it's not really that bad. You can do whatever you want to do, and you can still go to heaven. Hell's really not real, and all that's just a lie. But I want to tell you, God's serious about hell, and the people that reject his son, Jesus Christ, and say, no, I don't want that. You will eternally be punished for your sins and your rejection of God's perfect sacrifice forever in hell. But it doesn't have to be that way. The last thing, and a lot of people may not agree with this, but that's okay. It won't change a thing, I promise you. 
The Bible teaches us that in hell, every person that goes to hell will actually have a front row seat for all eternity to watch those that made it to heaven. Now, I don't believe for one minute that any person in heaven will ever be able to see hell. I don't believe it. There's not a scripture that tells you or even alludes to that. But I'm going to read two, one again, that will kind of help you see that it has happened already. All right? So I'll just leave it at that. Luke 13, 28, again, uh, or Luke uh, 13, 28, says, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when... Ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. And you yourselves thrust out. Now, a lot of people might say, scholars would say, oh, Pastor, you're wrong about that. He's talking about uh, just the judgment. Okay, well, can we read, Derek, again? Um, Luke 16, or could you just put it on the screen, please? Luke 16, 23. And I'm going to take just about two minutes, hopefully, to tell you about this story right here that Jesus said happened. He didn't call it a parable. The rich man lived good every day. Lazarus lived every day full of pain and sorrow uh, and full of sores begging for food. The Bible says... Both of them died. The angels, come, the angels came and escorted Lazarus to heaven. He called it Abraham's bosom because we're talking Old Testament here. He was making reference to an Old Testament writing. But he said, the rich man died. All right, and in hell, being in torment, in hell, the rich man looks up, lifts up his eyes, and he sees Abraham, or heaven, and he sees Lazarus. Now, my question is, how in the world could he know that Lazarus is in heaven if he couldn't see him there, folks? Okay? How could he see that Lazarus actually made it and he didn't make it? Because I believe with all my heart, along with the 13th chapter, the 28th verse, that the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, seeing the prophets and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I think one of the torments that the Bible mentions, and I don't want anybody in here to find out, but I believe with all of my heart, one of the torments, the first and foremost is rejecting the gospel, rejecting being told about Jesus, thinking you're going to live 900 years and get it right on the 899th birthday. You're going to live right the 900th year. I think a lot of people are going to be tormented by every day they put off going hardcore living for Jesus. I think the second thing they're going to have to be punished and tormented by is the fact that all the people that said, yeah, I thank you, God, for letting Jesus die for my sins, and I'm glad that I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Watching them enjoy the splendor of heaven, I really believe people are going to be tormented by that every single day for all eternity based on what I've read to you. 
Who goes to hell? Matthew 24, 51, the first part of that, we read the last part a while ago, says, and I shall cut him asunder and point him his portion with the hypocrites. I know I could read all of the scriptures, but with the hypocrites. So we know that hypocrites go to hell. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a person that professes and goes through the motions of living right and doing right they say one thing, but they actually do another. I, you know, I'm going to go kind of deep here for a minute. It's people that claim to have a relationship with Jesus, but there is no visible sign that they ever think about Jesus, but maybe, maybe on Sunday sometime. You, 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 there, there is no other fruit nowhere, not in their vocabulary, not in their habits, not in their schedule on a weekly basis, nothing, nothing. They profess one thing, but they do other things. That's a hypocrite, folks. You can clean it up if you want to, to make yourself, or if you know of somebody, they can do talk all these things to feel good, but at the end of the day, a hypocrite is a person that lives contrary to what they profess. I'm sorry. That's what a hypocrite is. The Bible says that the people that don't live right and reject Jesus, they're going to be appointed with the hypocrites. They're not appointed to heaven, by the way, in case you didn't figure that out yet. I don't mean to sound rude, but I'm just, I want to be blunt and clear here today. The Bible tells us in Revelation 21 and 8 for the second time, And I like to refer to these as the not-so-great eight of people that go to hell. All right? Earlier I read to you out of the New King James, but I'm going to read from my notes out of the King James this time. So here's the, the not-so-great eight that the Bible says will find themselves in hell. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, and the murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. See, a hypocrite's a liar, too, in case you didn't know that. Shall have their part. There's a designated part. For that eight, that group of eight, in the lake which burneth with fire. Not a figment of their imagination, but burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. So, the fearful number one is something you all know. And I, gotta, I got to be straight with you. I think the past two years has been a test. If you've been living in fear over anything more than the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment and you have people you love and care about that will go to hell unless they're... If you've lived in fear more than anything else that the world said, you better clean your act up. I'm just speaking truth today. 
but the fearful. Pastor, it don't mean that. I talked to a preacher. He says it don't mean that. I'm sure he did say that. He loves money and people too. But I'm telling you, the Bible says this. Because Let me explain to you about fear. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So the question lies at your feet. If you entertain and you date and you give in to a spirit of fear, you've had to have some kind of spiritual sexual relation with the devil because fear doesn't come from above. Fear comes from beneath. That's hard. That's strong, getting it, church? I'm glad I didn't say it and the Word of God did. I just repeated it for you. So you got to clean your act up somewhere because that's what's happening today. We're being washed by the Word, folks. Don't get mad. There's nothing to get mad about. Don't get scared. There's nothing to get scared about. We're not talking about scaring somebody. In fact, I'm so happy today I can't hardly stand it because I ain't got to go to this rotten place. But I will tell you this. What God's desiring for this to do, and I will get back to that, but what God desires, he don't desire for you to leave here scared today. What he's wanting you to do is to be reminded and me to be reminded of after the tribulation, after the uh, rapture, after the uh, thousand year, the millennial reign and all this when there's a new heaven and new earth. At the very end, there's only going to be heaven and hell and he wants us to be stirred on the 11th of September and be reminded of what is waiting on people in the end that do not take God serious and that we don't take it serious enough to reach them now. So God's reminding me today, and he's reminding you, listen, you can talk about all the fluff and all the stuff. You can talk about all you want to in the world. But somebody's going to go to hell, this place right here, on your dollar, on your dime, and on your watch because you didn't think enough of them or God to keep them out of this place. So God's just reminding you of what's there. And it doesn't matter if a person says, well, I'm agnostic, I'm atheist, I don't believe it. It don't matter about that. It's not going to change the fact it's still waiting on you if, you're, if you don't get out of that condition to not go there. You can deny it all day long. You can deny it all day long. I, I've told you this before. I can, die, I can deny gravity all day long. But you let me go step, climb a ladder and jump off this building. I can tell you all that. All, all, gravity, that's just a myth. There'll be, in about three days, there'll be some slow walking and sad singing. Amen? But in my hard head, I'll die thinking I was right. But I'll be as dead as you come. I'll be as dead as you can be. So, we know about fearful. We know about unbelieving. I've already told you that Paul said to the jailer, all you got to do is believe. I'm trying to finish, by the way. He said, all you got to do is believe. Believe Jesus. So, we know about fearful and we know about believing. But let's talk about abominable for a minute. We're going to look at this quick, okay? So, you got to pay close attention. Abominable, it actually means uh, what you would think abominable, but to render foul, to cause to be abhorred or abhorred, to turn oneself away uh, from on account of the stench. Somebody that you, you if, if, if you are somebody that people loathe, uh, people don't like to be around, blah, 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 uh, you know, all that. 
that person is, or that people group or whatever, you know, well, I saw a video the other night, Angie had showed me, and I, I can't watch this stuff, all the foolishness that's going on in Memphis and everywhere else. Uh, I don't know this stuff because I don't watch the news. And she just happened to see it. It came up on her phone. And, um, yeah, along with the condition of the church, the world, that's bad. People just going up and knocking people out in line, and, and, you know, three people jumping out of car, doing all these things, man. And I said, you know what? That's so bad right now, but that don't even hold a candle what's going to happen the moment the rapture takes place. You, you've never seen meanness and chaos. You've never seen it. So the Bible says these kind of people, this kind of person, that just, they're bad. They're rotten bad. They're the ones that would be found in hell. But the Bible also says the next thing, Murderers, people that take lives, you know, I know they just switched really, uh, I think it's temporary though. I think it was just for face value, Roe versus Wade and all. Praise God for the lives that have been spared since then and that will be spared because of that. But you know what? Uh, without going down this road, this world is all about death. And that's all I'm going to say, Okay. It don't matter if they're babies inside the womb or outside the womb or young teenagers or full-grown adults. This world is all about death, and it's all about death because the Bible says, the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Bible also says not only the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and the murderers, but the whoremongers. Now, we got to look at that, that because uh, earlier when I read it to you, it says sexually immoral. But do you know what, if you, I don't know if you can see that, but do you see what the transliterated word is? It's pornos. What do you think of when you hear that word? I've never looked this up until I looked up these words. Huh? Somebody say it. Porn. All right. The Bible says a, a man who prostitutes his body to another's lust for hire, a male prostitute, a man who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse, a fornicator. This is when the room really gets tight in here and I'm standing up here by myself and people feel very uncomfortable. But you live in a world that idolizes and glorifies and monetizes this mess right here. From what I understand, even in high school, girls but children barely are clothed now. Anybody besides Nancy want to clear your throat? Because you ought to. I know you didn't do it for that, but it worked for me, so please let me. But she said, oh, yes, okay. You've got to understand, folks, and I'm not getting off on a tangent. I'm really trying to finish here. But, and I, me, me and Nikki, I talked to Angie about it, different ones. The world don't need no help. Amen? This is what it's full of. I ain't saying you got to look like Laura Ingalls everywhere you go. Tell you youngest who Laura Ingalls is when you get home. But check this out. Look, we got some idiots in this world that are constantly looking at phones and mass media on TV, billboards that glorifies all kind of dogmatic, lustful, 
fornication, sex, all this stuff, it's plastered everywhere. It's on drink cans. It's on everything. You don't need to help the devil out. It's what I want to say to the world because we got these people. Well, however, staying on subject here, these people right here, if they're not saved, they might get by with it now, but they're going to find themselves in a hell because there's a part for whoremongers. The Bible also says sorcerers. Now, you saw the word sorcerers. You saw this definition when we were talking about, uh, do y'all remember about November, I think? I don't know if it was a year ago or two years ago, when I preached about deception. Because we read another scripture about sorcerers, sorceries. And when I looked that word up then for the first time, why, of all words, the word sorceries, we always think of black magic and magic. But it, it's actually uh, pharmacia, or the trans, uh, transliterated word is pharmacias, where we get our word pharmacy from. And the definition is one who prepares or uses magical remedies. Hey, I don't even like taking Flintstone vitamins because of that Bible verse right there. It looks like a pill. It looks like a vitamin. But the Word of God says medicine, all these kind of things like this, is used with the word sorceries. All right? I knew that would really go over good like it did a year ago, so I'm going to go to the last word in, in closing is the word idolaters. A lot of people don't know about this word. Idolaters, and I think this one right here is one that every one of us, us, we've got to be very careful about this. A worshiper of false gods, an idolater. Used of anyone, uh, even Christian, participant in any way of the worship of heathen, one who attends their sacrificial feast and eats of the remains of offered victims, a covetous man as a worshiper of mammon. This is idolaters. So let me just clarify, if I can, if you're struggling with this. If you worship anything, equal to or almost equal to like you do God or if you worship it. That means my mind's fixated on it. I think about it all the time. I think about it and uh, or I'm just preoccupied with it all the time. This is, I know it, it talked about mammon here or money and that's definitely what it's talking about but also inclusive with that is anything that takes the place of God. What, well, I don't have that problem. What do you talk about the most? That's your God. That's your idol. Okay? Are y'all still okay in here today? My goodness alive, I'm trying to get through. You don't know how good I'm trying to get through today. It's just one of them services. I'd just rather be walking, spitting, ranting, and raving, and shouting, and all that today. 
But God don't want people to go to hell. That's all I can tell y'all. All these people, all these and all liars. Can I tell you what a liar is? Can I tell you what a lie is? A lie is any attempt, listen folks, any attempt to divert you or somebody away from the actual truth. Now, you know how we kind of manipulate things to say this instead of that because we don't want to get in trouble or we don't want to be found out or we won't, don't want this or that. That's called a lie. You don't have to be Pinocchio and say, no, I didn't do that. You can just do what the devil's always done, and you can just say, well, it really won't kill you. You can do anything to divert a person or a situation to get you out of hot water or to, well, I just don't want to cause a mess, so I just sit. Okay? All liars will have their part. So when you go home, read Revelation 21.8, and imagine eight sections in hell, okay? Imagine eight sections along with all the other room in hell. And these people won't be together and say, oh, we shouldn't have done that. It's going to be torment. The Bible says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, 28. So before we pray, Caleb, I've been good all day, but you and Kevin's going to have to work for a minute, all right? Back to Luke 16. In the past two years, when I have had the opportunity to um, be a part of someone's celebration or someone's funeral, most of the time, I will tell the story of the rich man and Lazarus somewhere in that service. Doesn't matter if we know the person is being saved or we know the person. Well, we don't know. Because in both instances, I want every, if you don't remember nothing else or no other scripture, remember this. Because that one account alone lets me know that hell is real. That one account also, if we were to continue to read that, lets me know that that man went on to ask another question. And he said, Father Abraham, I am tormented in this flame. Will you send Lazarus that he may dip his finger, just his finger, in some water and cool my tongue? It's hot there. It's miserable. He's being tormented every moment of his uh, day. Uh, and he says, that can't happen. No. Remember, in your good time, you live large and he lived bad. And besides, between him, us, and where you are, rich man, he said, there's a great chasm. There's a gulf there. We can't pass between the two. So he goes to the next thing, which is what this whole message is about today. He said, well, is there any way you can send Lazarus back from the dead because I've got, check it out, 
I've got five brothers, and I don't want them to die and come to this place right here. He said, that can't happen neither. They have the prophets, and they have the law. They have God's word, what God's already said. He said, no, 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 Father Abraham. But if one rises from the dead, they'll believe. He says, no, 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 they won't. He said, if they don't believe Moses and they don't believe the spoken word of God, they're not going to believe the one rises from the dead. So here's the moral of this whole message today, the end here. I want you to know that hell is real and everybody in hell right now wish somebody would have told them or they wish they would have took it serious when they heard about it and God's not willing that any should die but all should have everlasting life. It's very easy to go to heaven but it's also easy to go to hell. What do you mean I'm confused? All you got to do is say yes to go to heaven, and all you got to do is say no to go to hell. That's hard, isn't it? So yes is what we want, and we've got to remember that God put his word in place as a standard to tell me how I got to live every day because he's washing the body of Christ. He's washing his bride. That's why I don't want to get out here and I don't want to try to blend in with the world. I don't want to try to look popular and cool. So I'll just stand with this group and do what they do or I'll just do this a little bit now or I'll talk like this. I'll go to these places. I'll hang with these people. I'll laugh at these dirty jokes. I'll do this right here with my friends on social media. I'll do all this. The Bible says that God put his word in place so that the bride would be willing to let the word wash them so every day we can wake up and we can be washed by the word. I can be a little bit cleaner than I was on Saturday. And on Monday, if God hasn't called me home or raptured the church, I can read and let the water of the word wash me more because there might have been something I did today that just was not quite like God said it should be and it caused a wrinkle or it caused a blemish so I'm back in the word so I'm telling you church you don't have to be scared of hell but it is a real place people are going to go there and you've got the key to heaven if you'll just tell them I, I see I spit now today I, I did get that out didn't I I want you to stand up if you will And this is what I think people are going to be horrified by one day. They're going to stand before God and say, well, I didn't want to offend them. Well, they're offended, and they're offended for all eternity. I didn't feel like it was my place. Well, it wasn't your place, and now that's their place for all eternity. You've got to realize, church, we're here as ambassadors for Christ. We're here to do shoeboxes, but we're also to be the walking message. Like we put a message in a shoebox, we're to be the walking track. We're to be the walking warning to tell people, look, I don't care what you've done when you was a child, how you were treated growing up, and all this stuff, and you don't like church, I'm still a 
appointed by God to tell you Jesus loves you and he don't want you to die and go to hell and he proved it by doing this on the cross. And I'm here to do all I can to beg you, come on, let's get right with God so you can make heaven your home. Hell's a bad place and you don't want to go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. It's not God's will that you go to hell. This is what you are here for, church. This is what multitudes was birthed to do, was to tell this community about Jesus and anybody online that there really is a God that loves you. And people say, well, I just want to tell people God's got a, a great plan for your life. you got to be careful telling people God's got a great plan. Yes, God's got great and mighty things you can do, but when you tell the world all kind of things, a great plan, oh, they think pie in the side, they're, sky, they're never going to suffer and all that and so a lot of people they they are not really saved because people tried to dress it up and make it nice and they find themselves in hell and that's what I'm addressing first right now God wants me to ask you and you online are you are you in the grade 8 not so grade 8 is it, is it something that needs to be dealt with? Are you like number eight? It's not a full-blown lie, but look, things are a lot better when I just take this route. You don't want to take that route. See, many people think that they can go to heaven because they were a Christian at a young age or they've been a Christian a long time. And I'm telling you, if you live in sin, you won't allow the word to wash you like today. You're not a real Christian. You're not a Christian at all. You're a hypocrite. You think you're a Christian. See, a real Christian, can I get to that? I, I, I'm finishing. A real Christian wants the word to wash them. You don't want to pay... If I go to Alfie and say, Alfie, I want you to detail my car, and I'm going to give you $150 to do it, to detail my car. And I go up, and man, the whole hood, the trunk, the back, and all the driver's side, it's spotless. The inside's spotless. It's got a coat of wax like it was just painted. But then I walk around and I look at the passenger side and it looked like I just got through four-wheeling up here at the PD River. All down the side. Do you think I'm going to say, oh, don't worry about that, Alfie. That dirt don't matter. That's the way we live, folks. That's the way we live. Got wax on this side. It's going to distract everybody from the mud on the other side. No, Jesus died and bled blood so you could completely be cleansed from sin. I want you to close your eyes, if you will. If you're in this building today, we're doing offering, uh, altar a little bit different. You feel like you might fall into the not-so-great eight? Or if you say, I just really don't know, Pastor, where I stand with the Lord, or I know I'm not ready for the trumpet to sound, I want you to come to this altar. If you fit in one of those categories, don't be ashamed. Don't worry about these people in here. If you're online, 
search yourself. Let the Word of God wash you right now. Let the Word of God wash you right now. You know, I talked, don't, don't open your eyes. I talked about revival earlier. We've talked about revival this morning. You know, one of the things revival, true revival does, it brings repentance. It does. True revival brings repentance. I'm not talking, yeah, from sinners, but true revival will make the church fall on its face. That's why 2 Chronicles seven fourteen starts out by saying, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. So if you are, this sounds mean, but I'm talking to the people online right now because if you're not at this altar, that means you are 100% sure that it's all right. It's all good. You don't need to talk to God or nothing. So I'm only going to pray for the people that's not here right now. And so online, would you just say, Father God, that's me. The Word has been doing a lot of scrubbing and revealing and exposing. And I know that I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed. I need, I need for my sin to be purged by the blood of Jesus. And I stand before you today, wherever you're located, I stand before you today and say, God, thank you that you made a way of escape, that you gave your son Jesus so I can be forgiven and I can have a relationship with you now and I don't have to go to a devil's hell. If you pray that, folks, God will right now, not only will he instantly cleanse you, but God himself will write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And it will be recorded. And the song we used to sing growing up, when the roll is called up yonder, I will be there. So, Father, I thank you today that we can come to your house one more time, Lord, and you can wash us with the word. You can wash us, Father. I thank you, Lord, that I don't have to struggle with trying to figure out a way or hope there's a way. You've made a way. You've warned me. You've made it plain in your word. What's waiting? If I reject you, you've made it plain in your word. What's waiting? Only the half has not even been told of what's waiting for us in heaven. So I ask you, God, I ask you, would you help me right now to know that you are going to complete a work inside of me. You're going, to, you're going to finish what you started. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that nobody here, nobody leaves this building today and they're not 
completely clean, completely clear. Lord, anything that may be kind of just smoldering down there, God in the ashes, is not dealt with, Lord. You've called us to purity. You've called us to those deeper things like I talked about last week. God, you've called us, Lord, and we've got to be willing, Lord, to let God be true and every man a liar. So, Father, would you help us to look at ourselves? It's not our brother nor our sister, but it's us in need of prayer. And, Father, would you anoint us to be the mouthpiece, to be like John the Baptist, to seek, to save, to be the forerunner, to tell people, Lord, because you could come back today, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Don't move.